Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is uh, Jacob. Please call me Jake. Um, what a great honor to be here. Thank you, Brother Chuck. Um, I am always blessed by you. He is a, a, a humble man. Thank you so much for welcoming me in Patrick's absence. If you guys are wondering why I'm here, it's because your pastor is um, doing his uh, fatherly duties and taking his uh, sweet girls to uh, college. Um, those two girls, I almost feel, are like girls, two of my girls. Part of the reason is my older two um, used to play with Olivia and Micaiah all the time when we uh, lived in the same community in McKinney many years ago. And so we still have little, little um, baby pictures of, of all of them playing. And I'm kind of scratching my head and I'm thinking, wait, they're going to college? Um, that means I'm probably not too far behind. But if you would pray for Patrick, Kristen, the girls, and certainly the petites who are here, uh, you kiddos, I'm glad you guys are here. Um, I am so honored. Um, another reason that I like to visit churches like this is because we are a community. We are, a, um, we, we, we are connected. Uh, what a shame that we are a denomination and we don't even know each other, even if we happen to be close to each other. You guys are our closest sister church from Trinity in Plano. And uh, I, I am if a strong believer that we need to get to know each other better. Um, mission trips, other things, we should partner with each other for the sake of the gospel in this area in North Texas as it's booming, right? God has work for us to do in this city, in this place. So I, that's another reason I want you to pray for us. I send greetings from Trinity. Um, there are so many people there who love this church, Patrick, um, many of our dear friends who we've known for many years. So we send our love. And I am going to read Psalm 63 as our scripture. It's from the Old Testament. And uh, I'll explain a few more things right after we read God's word. This is Psalm 63. And I'm going to read from the ESV, which is probably your pew Bible. But all my, um, you know, uh, how should I say this? Uh, sermon notes from, from times past or in an old Bible that happens to be not ESV. So I'm going to use that as well for this morning. So let me read God's word, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with marrow and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Verse 8, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is God's word. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, I thank you so much for bringing us together this morning in this place. It is not an accident ever. 
You are sovereign over the universe and every cell and atom. And uh, Lord, we know that we don't just show up of our own um, of our own volition, but you have put us and brought us here. Um, Lord, may your voice be heard. I pray for my own heart and everyone in this room that you would give us eyes to see Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. I did forget to mention one thing. I am alone today. I have a family I have a wife named Jaya and five kiddos. And um, man, I tried twisting their arm. The problem is they don't want to hear me preach. Uh, <laughs> no, it, they actually have to serve at Trinity today, um, doing different duties that they couldn't get out of. Otherwise, they would have been here, but they send their love. And, and when we're on vacation sometime, we'll come. So we can just all be together and relax together with you. So let me jump right in. And... Um, give you a little bit of testimonial, as I like to do when I'm visiting churches, so you can get to know us better too. So I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was an elder in in a church plant in New Jersey. And so I'm the son of not a pastor, but an elder. And um, every week, our church was what you would call maybe a little bit more liturgical or high church, Um, not super high church, but in a sense, we had readings that we would do like you guys do, confessions and creeds and things like that. But we used to read Psalm 63 every Sunday. Do you know what happens when you hear the same thing every Sunday? You start banging your head. I used to be able to recite Psalm 63 on my brain at any time, night or day, because I've heard it a million times. Not only that, I began to dislike Psalm 63. And, you know, when we had our family devotions, when dad would say, well, why don't you guys read something? We turned to the Psalms because they were short. And so we were really familiar with the Psalms. But like all things, when you become so familiar with something, you begin to lose um, the real taste of it and interest in it. So that's my background. I, I really did not want to hear Psalm 63 ever again, in a, in a sense. But do you know what God did? Over the next 40 years, I'm dating myself, but over the next 40 years, I began to fall in love with the Psalms again, and especially Psalm 63. How, how weird is that? I disliked it, and God made me fall in love with it, And if you pinned me down, I would say it is probably my favorite psalm, even more than Psalm 23. It's pretty hard to, you know, get past Psalm 23 or Psalm 100 or Psalm 150. But it really is my favorite psalm. And I wanted to share it with you. Um, Psalm 63 has two parts. And I'm going to give you those two parts just so you have a little bit of an outline. By the way, I did not really bring my sermon notes because I know if I shared from my notes, we'd be here way too long. So I'm really just going to give you what the Lord kind of impresses on me to say so we can kind of stay short. And I am encouraging you to look at Psalm 63 again on your own. Will you, will you at least try to do that maybe today over dinner or before you go to bed? Just read it again one more time and say, Lord, is there something I missed that I really need to Think about again, one line, a sentence, maybe the whole thing in, in, as a whole. Psalm 63, two parts. I'm going to break it up into two parts. The first part is about David fainting for God. And I'll explain that. The second part is about David feasting on God. So 
fainting for God and feasting on God. Two parts of David's uh, relationship with God. Right at the beginning, let me say, the theme or the subject of Psalm 63 in my heart, because I've wrestled with this psalm, is worship. The subject is worship and the focus is God. So maybe right at the outset, can I ask a question? I love to ask questions. When I was younger, my friends used to be annoyed because I used to ask too many questions instead of giving answers. So let me ask you a question. What do you truly and honestly worship? Now, I'm, I'm sure everyone in this room would say we worship the Lord. We worship Jesus. We worship Christ. But it is deeper than that. It is a harder question to answer than that when you recognize that your mind usually goes to the things that you love the most. What will you talk about on the way home today in, in, in the car? What does your mind naturally wander to when you don't have to think about anything else or God or church? Very likely, those are the things that you love the most. Can you fill in the blank? I absolutely love. What are those things for you? Is it art? Is it food? Is it family? Is it Frisco? I don't know. Fainting and feasting. So if you look at your Bibles, which I always encourage you, bring your own copy of your Bible or look on uh, very carefully at the text as we're preaching so you can see exactly where we're at. There is a heading for this psalm, and it says a psalm of David, so we know who the author is. And then it says when he was in the desert of Judah. So that's the context of Psalm 63. And this took me many, many years to appreciate. So in my um, estimation and study, I think David has been in the desert of Judah. So in other words, the Judean wilderness. It is not the city. It is arid, dry, uh, empty, (laughs) uncomfortable. He's been in the Judean desert at least three times. One, very likely when he was a shepherd boy. Do you remember that David was a shepherd? So very likely he went off with the sheep, his father's sheep, and they wandered to the, the countryside and the hillsides and, and the deserts of the Judean wilderness to feed his sheep. So that's probably the first time he's been there. Second time, he actually fled to the wilderness of Judea to run from King Saul. King Saul was jealous of David, a young, good-looking, upstart leader guy that he didn't want to be in control, didn't want him to be the leader of God's people. He was jealous of him. He tried to kill him. So David actually, if you study 2 Samuel or 1 Samuel, you'll be able to see David runs to the wilderness. Um, I would suggest that David is running from someone as the context of Psalm 63, context of 63, but It is not that time. And we get a clue. If you look in your Bibles, in verse 11, it says, but the king will rejoice in God. And so that's kind of saying David is king here already. It is not Saul who's king. It's David who's king. He's talking about himself in the third person. The king will rejoice in God. So he's not running from Saul the king. He is now king later in his life. But he is running from someone into the wilderness. And who is that? His own son, Absalom. You ever heard that name? 2 Samuel 15 to 18 will give you the story of Absalom. Now, I love to set 
um, stories and context because this is how I explain the Bible to my kids. This is probably like his, you know, his, the kid he loves. He's good looking. He's strong. He's handsome. He's one of his, you know, first boys. And he's like, he's going to have the throne someday. He's going to carry on my legacy. And he, he probably has, you know, adored Absalom. But now he's running from Absalom because Absalom has started a rebellion with Israelite men, and the hearts of the Israelite men are being stolen. That's what the scripture says. Absalom has stolen the hearts of Israelite men so that they're beginning to follow him. And Absalom, in his greed, wants to destroy his father and take over the kingdom. Can you believe this? The kid he has been grooming to be the king of Israel one day, his his star child, in a sense, he is chasing after him to kill him so he can take over the throne. And David is in the wilderness of Judah. Picture this me, kids too. Listen, he's away from the palace. He's away from God's people. He's fleeing into the Judean wilderness. In fact, if I could, if I could read for you a couple of verses from 2 Samuel, here's what it says specifically. Um, when David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. This is 2 Samuel 15, verse 23. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on toward the desert. That's the context. He's away from the palace, away from comfort. He is in a dry and arid land. And he is living in tents or maybe out in the open with his men who are trying to protect him from Absalom's rebellion army. And one morning, um, we don't know exactly when it is, but one morning he wakes up and he says this. You with me so far? In the desert, running from his son, heartbroken. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Out in the open with fear. Probably, have you ever heard people sleeping with one eye open? (laughs) That's exactly what's going on here. He can't sleep because... He may be overtaken. The army may be overtaken. He's running away. And he says, no matter what happens, I know who God is. This is not someone who doesn't know God. This is someone who knows God, who knows God's faithfulness and love to him. This is someone who is really saying, I am reaffirming what I believe about my God. And today in the desert, oh God, you are my God. And when it says, earnestly, I seek you, many translations say this way, early, I will seek you. Do you remember when Jesus used to get up in the morning early to pray? This is King David, his, you know, ancient father saying, earnestly, early, I get up. You know why? You're first in my life. Hey, what do you um, do first thing in the morning? Don't answer Because if you're like me, your first thought is probably not God, but a list or some anxiety. This is David saying, 
here out in the open, you're the first. You are first in my life. And I want to say again, even out here, oh God, you are my God. This is someone who knows the Lord's covenant faithfulness to him, and he says, I'm going to reaffirm my vow to you, my covenant vow to you that I am yours and you are mine. And how beautiful that is. Have you ever been in a dry and weary land? Has anyone been um, in um, countries that are really hot? My dad and mom are from southern India. And they would take us a couple times in our lives to go over. And uh, when we would be there, man, I would really struggle. You know why? Because I missed the refrigerator. And I would miss cold, clean water. After two or three days of just drinking lukewarm water, and who knows if it was like completely clean, I would be dreaming about Aquafina. I'm a little bit of a water snob. I like my water, and I like particular kind of water. And you know what? It's how your body reacts. You become desperate for it. It says, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, he's aching for it. Do you ache for God like that when you get up in the morning? How about on any day? Do you say you're first in my life and my soul thirsts for you as if I'm in a dry and thirsty land, weary land where there's no water? So he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. You know what David's doing here? He's actually looking back and remembering when he was back in Jerusalem. And imagine this picture with me. The palace, really comfortable right? Good food, good living, everything, comfy bed. Right next to it is a tent, which is the dwelling place of God. And that is what David calls the sanctuary, where God himself is, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where um, the presence of God is right near the palace. And David, very likely, many commentators say, used to get up in the morning and go into the tent. And you should just sit before God. In fact, there are passages that says he would sit there and pray and behold the power and the glory of God. That's what he's remembering now. Far away from the palace and the sanctuary, he's looking back and he's saying, I know you. I remember you. And I know who you are. I know your attributes. I know your character. And I have seen your power and your glory. This is David who's tasted the Lord. And he says, but now I'm away from all of that, but I know you're my God. What an amazing, beautiful thing. And then we come to verse three. Can I just tell you, pastors really shouldn't say this, but I have a favorite verse in this chapter. All the verses of scripture are precious, but this is my absolute favorite verse in this chapter. I'm just saying that to you because part of this is a testimony. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Listen again. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. You know what David is saying? God, you are better than the palace. You are better than comfort. You are better than anything for me. Your love is better than life itself. Do you know in the olden days, um, friends, when missionaries used to go, this is years ago, used to go to places like Africa and, and tough countries, I read stories where they would pack their stuff to go in long wooden boxes 
because they likely knew that that's how they would return. And if you stop them and say, don't you know you're going to die there? They would say, and so your love is better than life itself. Your, lo- your, your love, O oh Lord, that I've tasted is better than even living. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? You say it. What does gain mean to you? To me, it sounds like he's saying, better. For me to live is Christ, but to die is better. Your love, O oh Lord, is better than life. Remember I asked you, hey, how would you complete the line, I love this? Man, we live in a crazy world where people say, I love Nathan's hot dog. Or I love a Big Mac. Will you throw that word love around, right? Like it's cheap. Do you have any idea how much money Americans spend on chocolate? Can you take a guess? In 2015, I checked this. It was over 18.27 billion. I um, lived in the Northeast, and one of my favorite things in the Northeast was the colors of the leaves in the fall. I used to love the smell of the leaves and the leaves turning color. And when I moved to Texas, I was missing that. You know, because it tends to kind of go brown during the winter here, right? And uh, I was missing, I was saying, and I used to say to myself, man, I love the fall season in the Northeast. You might love art. You might love food. You might love your spouse, your children, maybe more than God himself. But David says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live it. In your name, I lift up my hands. You know what he's saying? I'm away from the sanctuary, but I'm going to praise you out in the desert, in the tent. In the situation that I'm in, I'm going to praise you because you're my God. You're everything to me. You're better than even living. Verse 5 through 8 is that feasting part. So he was fainting for God because he's away from God, but now he's feasting on God as he recollects all that God is to him. Look, young people and old people, there are times when your life's not going to be good, worldly-wise. It's not going to be comfortable. You're going to have illnesses. You're going to lose your job. You may have some um, family issues. But God never changes. His love for you is no less today than it was yesterday or a million years ago. When he already knew you? David remembers. And he holds on to that. That is his confidence. That's his anchor. And he, as he thinks on God and who God is for him, he begins to feast on him in the desert. That's what we need to do. Hey, maybe you need to keep a journal. Maybe you need to look back and say, God has been good. He's not going to drop me now. He's not going to forget me now. This is God who we're talking about, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who has brought me this far is going to see me to the end. Praise be to him. Verse 5, my second favorite verse. My soul will be satisfied with the richest of foods. 
with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Uh, Even with my parched lips out here in the desert without good cold water, my lips are going to praise you, Lord, because you deserve it. If I have a thousand years, it wouldn't be enough. My soul will be satisfied. Now, there's a good word. Satisfied. Are you satisfied? I have family members and friends who go from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing because they're never satisfied. After a year, the novelty wears off. I need a new car. Need a new house. (laughs) Some people, I need a new spouse. I need a new relationship. But when you find God, the living God, guess what? It's like someone coming up to you after you've just had filet mignon. Are, we, are you with me, folks? Dallas is a very foodie country, uh, a, state, uh, a city, just like New York is where I'm from. If someone gave you an awesome meal and five minutes later came and gave you another meal, what would you say? Enough. I'm done. I am satisfied. I am full. I don't need another meal. I don't need another morsel. I am completely satisfied. That is what David's saying. As with the richest of foods, I actually think he's thinking about when he was in the palace and they would burn offerings on the altar in the tent where God was. They would put the fat of the animals and cook it. And David from the palace could probably catch a whiff of that smell and he would know, oh, that is rich food being offered to God. Better than that. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. For the sake of time, let me move on. On my bed, I remember you. (laughs) What bed? Out in the desert, sleeping on the ground, on the sand. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. Hey, another amazing little word picture. Probably he's out in the desert and has seen something like a partridge. And all these people are coming in, this army of people, and the the partridge is gathering her young and kind of like hovering over them and kind of keeping them warm from all these uh, people who are like floating in. Or maybe it's, the picture that's often through the scriptures where Jesus says to Jerusalem, oh, I wish I could gather you as a hen gathers her children. Have you ever seen that? Hawk flies by. The hen quickly like scurries to gather her children and sits over them, puts her feathers over them and spreads her wings over them. And David says, that's what you are to me. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings, your right hand upholds me. You know what the right hand of God is? It's the arm of victory. The right hand of God cannot be stopped. The right hand of God is powerful. The right hand of God is going to accomplish everything that God wants you. You cannot stop him. And David knows it. So then it goes like this. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. David knows that. You know, when you have God, you don't really need anything else. God is in control and God's going to take care of you. God's going to provide for you. God is going to take care of your enemies. 
God's going to protect you because his love is a covenant faithful love. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They're not going to win over me. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. You know, the jackals in the desert were like the vacuum cleaners. If there's something dead, they'll come and sweep it up, even the bones, until there's nothing left. You won't even see it anymore. You won't even see the bones. The jackals will just devour it until no trace of your enemies. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Um, I don't want to go over time, but I'm going to share with you how the story ends. You with me? Remember Absalom? Please, you got to read the Old Testament stories. It is, it'll bring you to tears. David's out in the desert. And one of his men comes to him and says, he has delivered up, meaning God, the men who lifted their hands up against you, my Lord, the king. And the king answers, is the young man Absalom safe? Verse 31, then the Cushite arrived and said, my Lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has delivered you today from all those who rise up against you. The king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. Absalom was dead. Very next verse, the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And he went, as he went, he said these words. These are some of the most haunting, sad words in all of the Old Testament, in my opinion. He says, weeping, he's walking up. And he says, oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He's not happy. He's heartbroken. Now, where am I going with that? I want to kind of say it this way, just so you may understand this a little bit. Maybe David treated Absalom like an idol. He was going to be his legacy. Maybe he was holding on to him too tight. And God takes him into the desert. Just like he takes every Christian believer through desert experiences. To pry our fingers loose of the things that we're holding on to too tightly. Until we say, you are my God and you alone. I don't know. I don't know if that's the reason. But David had to let Absalom go. And the Lord himself very lovingly takes us through some desert experiences as well until we can say, oh God, you, you are my God.
many thousands of years ago, there was another father who also lost his son, but he actually didn't lose him. It was no accident. He put him to death so that today we can be here and say, God, you are my God. Your unfailing love is never-ending. There is a father 2,000 years ago who gave up his son who actually said, I have died instead of you so that you can live forever and have everything and be satisfied, be content, have peace, have joy. That is the good news of the gospel, my friends. Hey, listen, do you know God like this? The Lord very lovingly brings us through experiences until we can get to the place where we can say, you're all I need, you're everything for me. That's enough. I'm still learning. I, I've got five children and sometimes I get too preoccupied with them until I realize, as David did, <laughs> that God was telling him, I am better than ten sons. That's what we're called. We come to this table because the Lord himself died in our place so that we can have that kind of satisfaction. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this word. I ask, Lord, that you may um, let it sink deep. I pray, Lord, that you will um, move us to see who you are. Um, Lord, that we might, under any circumstance, be willing to say, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you as in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. We love you, King Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.